Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, April 11th, and we're talking Dow DuPont. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool contributor Lou Whiteman via Skype. How are you doing, Lou? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, Lou. You know, we're going to talk about Dow DuPont today, but before we dive into that, you know, I follow you on Twitter. You know, you like to talk about Tesla a little bit, and we've got a little bit of Tesla news today. So today, uh, news came out that Tesla and Panasonic have agreed to you know cease further expansions of, of the Gigafactory. Uh, you know, what's your reaction to that as someone who you know likes to follow Tesla, you know, in their free time? It's hard to spin this well. Uh, you know, either they don't have the money to do it, or the demand isn't there. And so much of the stock's valuation is based on the expected growth in the company and deliveries. Uh, even in the best case, that they have the money and they could expand this factory if they wanted to, it implies it's not the lowest cost option, or they don't have the the need for all those batteries. Uh, I don't. I you know at this point. We'll see what happens with it, but I don't think anyone can say down the line uh, there were no signs. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it, it just you know the hits keep on coming for Tesla these days. You know we'll we'll, we'll see how it, how it plays out. They do have the the Chinese Gigafactory trying to get up and running. They do have a different battery agreement there with a different supplier. You know we'll see if that works out. But again, the hits keep on coming. Um, Lou, let's talk a little bit about Dow Dupont now. Uh, you know, first I want to give a little bit of history on, on kind of where we are and how we got to where we are today. So, so you know, the company Dow Dupont as it exists today traces back uh, to a merger back in 2000, uh, I believe 2015, and and from the from the beginning, uh, the goal was to divide uh, into three companies. You bring these bring these companies together, create some synergies, and then subdivide into three companies. And and we have started to see that uh, uh, just in the recent weeks uh, on. April 2nd, I believe the new Dow uh, began trading on the markets, and we're going to have some more splits coming on down the line. So, before we dive into those new companies, Lou, can you just give us a little 10,000-foot view history lesson on how we got to where we are today with uh, Dow DuPont? Sure, sure. You have to go back to the early part of this decade, and both Dow and DuPont separately were the product of just years and years of bolt-ons and consolidation in the chemicals. So, we had two sprawling chemical conglomerates, two companies that were in a range of different businesses, some they were good at, some that they weren't so good at, and neither of them were particularly, they they had the feel or the stink of an old company that, that just can't quite fire on all cylinder. Uh, both had activists get involved. There was a lot of talk, you know, are they going to be split up? Are they going to do divestitures, going to be asset sales? Uh, both were companies that were in need of a catalyst, and that catalyst came in the form of Ed Breen, who took over at uh, DuPont. Uh, Ed Breen, for us old timers, I, it, it, it depressed me. I look back. You have to go back 15 years to when it looked like Tyco International was going to just implode under the weight of scandal. And Ed Breen did a masterful job of picking out what's good, what's not, putting it all together, splitting it apart, and really creating value. Uh, did, impressive, one of the most impressive jobs I've ever seen by just a a transformational CEO by an industrial. He comes to DuPont. He says, you know, Dow's got this that we could use. We have this that Dow could use. We'll never be able to do a trillion different transactions. The way to do it is let's put these two businesses together, take out the costs, reorganize things, combine things that are similar, and the plan is now almost to completion. As you said, we're going to have three independent companies that all should be more streamlined, more focused, that don't have those little bits that just kind of drag down the hole if it goes right. 
Yeah, streamlined is definitely the buzzword. The management seems to be coming back to over and over again. Yeah, you know, you you mentioned and I, I, you know, I, I, kind of how it's been tough to own the whole basket of these companies. That there's always there's always a part that somebody can complain about. There's always something that just puts a stink on the investment. And now that we can kind of split these off and isolate them out, you can really realize the value and make them appealing uh, to a broader swath um, of investors. Now, Lou, I want to move on and kind of talk about these new companies piece by piece. I mentioned off the top, the first one of these companies to emerge is New Dow, trading under ticker DOW, actually has replaced Dow DuPont in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Again, as I mentioned earlier, management is is hammering the table on this is a new streamlined company. Uh, the older Dow had 15 companies. This new business has six. Lou, what can you tell us about what we're going to get with this new Dow company and you know what investors should be thinking about it? Sure. Yeah, this is going to be the largest of the three siblings. About forty billion dollars in annual sales. Most of that is from the old Dow, but you know they've gotten rid of some of these businesses that we'll talk about in a second. They've added maybe five billion dollars worth of revenue from Dupont. Uh, this is the old-fashioned chemicals industry. This is the raw materials, the uh, the building blocks for coatings, for industrial products, for packaging. Uh, this is in some ways a commodity play. It's not sort of the finished products, which so it, it can be cyclical. The good news is, is it doesn't necessarily have the forward R&D that you get with a um, a, a finished product business. Um, you know, Dow is everywhere in this. I mean, these chemicals, uh, I think seven in 10 cans of residential paint, uh, you use this stuff all the time. These are these are the commodity products that go into so many of the plastics of, uh, of coatings of things. The, this is the stuff that you don't think of that you use. It's a very good business, but it is what it is. You don't, you know, you don't necessarily innovate in the same scale that you can innovate in some of these other areas that we'll get to. Yeah, you're right, Lou. You know, you mentioned and I want to pull the thread on it how, you know, this part of the business doesn't need as much kind of incremental investment in R&D to kind of develop uh, you know, the company and you know, the new Dow has made a firm commitment to spend no more than depreciation and amortization over the next 3 years. Uh, they want to focus on on cheaper products. They're really going to focus on uh, you know, returning capital to shareholders and not investing as much in, into new developments uh, at the business, you know, going to realize some cost synergies. When you look at this strategy, you know, for the new Dow to kind of keep spending as tight a lid on spending as you can and just pump money back to shareholders through dividends and buybacks. What are your thoughts on that strategy as it fits into the context of the business they're going to be doing? Sure, sure. And, and part of this, this is the case for that original merger because uh, neither neither company was running at 100%. If you put Dow together with the DuPont assets, you have capacity to produce more product without the massive or without the massive capital spending that you may normally need to expand. So, uh, you know that that's only going to last for so long, obviously. But you know it depends on the cycle. But you can look out the next three years and say we have room to expand with the economy without massive capex projects uh I, you know th- there's definitely on the cost side you you know the cost side is what you always talk about when when a deal comes together but there seems to be a a real potential for revenue growth whether you call it revenue synergies or whatever but revenue growth growth as they just use the combined capacity of the company uh, so I I believe it I I I think that they I I think this is a pretty easy target for them to hit and uh, I I expect they should be able to run the business with growth without the capex to some extent for a while. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the management says they're going to target 65% of net income returning to shareholders via dividends and buybacks, 45% of that being dividend, uh, you know, 20% at least in the near term being buybacks. Wall Street has responded very positively to this stock. Its first day of trading, it popped 7%. Uh, and it seems to be getting a lot of the love relative to you know the, the remaining parts uh, of Dow Dupont. You know, as you look at Wall Street's initial reaction, you know, uh, what are your thoughts on how, how folks have reacted coming out of the gate? For one thing, I think it's interesting to contrast that to how Dow Dupont has been a real underperformer while the, all this was going on. Uh, I, I think this speaks to again the logic of the deal that that there are different parts of the market. Maybe that'll be interested in these different companies, but there is demand for a Dow company profile type type of stock without the other things. Uh, so I think it speaks well to hopefully the the bigger plan down the line. There's a lot going on. You mentioned that uh, Dow replaced Dow Dupont in the in in the in Dow index. I would think that some of what we're seeing could be noise right now, where it is just people buying in because it's part of the index, things like that. Uh, but this is a good company. And again, I, I, I do believe that, you know, for a certain profile of investment where you're looking for this stable, predictable company without the baggage or upside even of, of some of these other businesses that, that yes, there is a demand for it. And yes, this is to the point of what they were trying to accomplish. This is our first chance to see how it may look out in the wild. And uh, so far, so good. Yeah, Lou. Now, let's talk about these companies that we haven't yet seen in the wild, but that we will see in early June of this year. The first one I want to talk about is Cortigra AgriScience. This is the company that's going to be produced out of the two agriculture arms brought together from Dow and DuPont when they merged. Uh, when you take a look at this company, what what, it, what it's going to be you know, look like when it's put together, uh, what should investors know about Corteva AgriSciences? So, Corteva is broken into two main areas, and they're about equal size. Part of it is seeds, and part of it is the chemicals, the nutrition, the products that help grow. Uh, this is this is an important business. This is an industry that was consolidating. I, th- I think uh, you had brought up a, a real good explanation quote from Breen. Uh, this is a business that was consolidating. Uh, we've seen uh, Bayer has bought Monsanto. We have uh, the Chinese own a lot of assets here. The big six has kind of gone to a big four, big three. Uh, this was part of the Dow DuPont deal was to make sure that these two businesses that were both had promise, but both were just kind of niche players in a bigger industry that needed scale. This was a way to quickly accomplish that scale for them. Uh, the, this is part of a, a, a broader play. The world is growing. The world needs more food. The world is developing. There is more opportunities in markets. Uh, There's been issues for this business short term, which I'm sure we'll get to, but uh, this is an intriguing, of of the businesses in the Dow DuPont, this is the intriguing long-term play. If you want to look at huge global macro trends, this is the company that hits on those trends. And together, they are just with the scale they have, the resources they have, they are much better able to hopefully hopefully get at those trends than the, either one of them would have been as almost, an, it's an important afterthought, but as an afterthought inside the portfolio of Dow and the portfolio of DuPont. Yeah, look, I mean, what I was reading about this company, you meant, we mentioned earlier you know, with the new Dow, how their investment the way they would invest the profits of the business is more kind of redistribute the capital back to shareholders because there's just not a lot to, to do from R&D, at least in the near term. Whereas when you look at this this agri-science business, it seems that the investment cycle, the development cycle for their new products, you're looking at 
five, 10 years uh, to kind of bring these new things to the market. So when you can bring this business out on its own with that different type of investing priority and to really focus around uh, that that business, uh, you can really see how how you can you know squeeze more juice out of that business when you can make that a priority. You did mention there there's been some near term weighing on results. They've taken some impairment charges, had some issues with slowdowns in China as well as as well as the tariffs and some currency issues. You know this is a company that's going to be affected by macroeconomic movements when when you're you're moving and and, and touching the agriculture space. Uh, how should investors think about that? You know if and when this company is on the market and it's investable, how how that cycle is going to shake out. You got a long term investment cycle for the products you're going to sell, as well as a market in agriculture that can be very susceptible to, you know, uh, supply and demand and things like that. Sure, sure. This is the one business that can accurately blame the weather, right? Um, that, but but you know, you make a huge, a great point, and I don't think it's something investors necessarily think about with this business. But the the tariffs or the threat of tariffs and the trade war that that whole macroeconomic picture has been a real weigh on them. Uh, soybeans are such an important product, uh, and. U.S. soybeans have been one of the real victims of the tensions between the U.S. and China. That has caused a shift in production of soybeans, uh, with China looking to South America. Uh, that changes the the profit. That that gets us into you're more exposed to foreign currency. Uh, some of the honestly, the margins aren't quite as good all the time in emerging markets as you get in the U.S. Uh, so there are. In any one quarter or any given one year, there's a lot of risk, especially, as you say, this is a business that is going to have, for the foreseeable future, large R&D needs. You have to look at this as a long-term play. You have to judge this company based on the quality of its products, its ability to innovate over time. Any one given year, if you have a poor planning season, if you have bad Forex exchange, if you have these, who knows how long these kind of trade tensions at least will last. Uh, this is a this is a business that is set up to it, it will be volatile, but as long as they are on track with products that fit the needs of the customer, we can also pretty reliably say that de- demand for these products are need the need is not going away. Uh, so again, you need to monitor this not so much quarter to quarter, you need to kind of Try your best to ignore the quarter and quarter and just look at long term. Is this a business that's doing what its customer needs better or as well as others? Because if it is, it should be in good shape over time. Yeah, Lou, I, I think this business is is one of those, and you see it with a lot of cyclical business where you have to separate the short-term cycle from the long-term cycle. So in the short term, there's going to be volatility with things like tariffs and you know there's bad weather one year or another. But over the long term, as you mentioned, food needs are moving up globally and they're going to continue moving that direction over the long term. And that need is going to be serviced by companies like Corteva. Um, again, we don't know a ton about how their business strategy is going to shake out yet. They do have an investor day coming May 9th where we'll learn some more. But uh, definitely an interesting company to watch. And, and I think Again, like I said earlier, bringing it out on its own maybe can can allow them to prioritize their investments in a more uh, you know strategic way that fits fits that business. Um, Lou, let's move on now to Dupont. Uh, this is the specialty products part of the business. There, that's the part of the business that Ed Breen is coming along with uh, to run. What should investors know about uh, this new Dupont and what it's going to look like? So this is more of a f- 
finished product business, and they have exposure to a lot of different industries, uh, nutrients that go in, uh, well, from your uh, protein smoothies to just supplements in pr- packaged products, uh, electronics, transportation, adhesive, safety, construction, imaging. This is sort of the applied chemistry business that, again, was part of both companies, but not necessarily a dominant part of either. So it's sort of, again, the logic is create a larger better company that has more scale and uh, and more exposure to different businesses. This, thanks to the, they're going to have some higher R&D than, uh, say, the commodity business. They also hopefully are more profitable. Of the three businesses, they are by far the most profitable in terms of uh, EBITDA margins. Uh, margins, I think, of 30, 32% in the fourth quarter compared to maybe 8 to 10% on the ag and uh, mid-teens on uh, Dow from memory. Uh, there is there's a lot of different cyclical exposure here because they are in so many different businesses, but they that also can be a plus for them because barring a global recession, as long as there is growth somewhere, they can sort of ride out storms. Uh, this uh, I think in the last uh, quarter, uh, you know, the margins on uh, on electronics were something north of 50%, but that wasn't growing that fast. Uh, safety construction, lower margin, but it was a huge grower. So this is this is a business that is set up at least to have a lot of different ways to win and exposure to a lot of different markets. Again, it's now going to be a larger portfolio of products. You can spread the R&D over a larger base than you could either for Dow or DuPont as an, in, as an independent. And, um, you know, make a run at it that way. Yeah, Lou, and with Ed Breen coming along, you know, we'd mentioned, you know, as we prepared for this show that we could see some further splits. I mean, that's something that uh, Breen did at Tyco, had had a split and then subsequent splits thereafter. You know, what opportunities might there be, you know, for the company to realize value there from additional splits within this new DuPont? Right, right. And Tyco was a master of or or involved in everything, master of everything, maybe too much to say. But yeah, he accidentally split that business three ways and then split the part he stayed with three ways. Uh, and there were all sorts of divestitures and mergers from there. Uh, I don't know if we'll see another three-way split, but there are definitely some of the activists that were involved. Dan Loeb was involved with this. He was hoping for more of a split of Dow DuPont, maybe six ways or so. I A lot of that extra stuff that he saw as, 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 as maybe being viable candidates on their own came from this portfolio. I think the nutrition business, I would... I would almost bet that we'll see an IPO or a split of that sometime in the next couple of years because that nutrition business is sort of a standalone and it's 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 growing. It's got some of that same potential we talked about about ag. I I would be shocked if this portfolio isn't revamped over the next couple of years and um, hopefully for the best. I mean, again, at that point you have to trust the managers and hopefully Breen's experience he can do it again, but. Uh, this business is just by the nature of it with its its different areas of expertise and there's not necessarily synergies between a nutrition add-on and uh, the the electronic displays. Uh, there's a lot of logic in trying to create more value over time by by breaking this down further. Okay, Lou, now that these these new companies are coming onto the market in June, we'll have access to invest in all three uh, new Dow spinouts. How should investors think about investing in these companies once they come onto the market? 
I th- I, you hit the nail on the head there with once they come on the market. The first advice is is just to let Dow DuPont go right now. I, way, you go back a couple of years, I had no desire to own either Dow or DuPont. I had no desire to own the uh, the combination, and that that worked out well. They they were last I checked that. that since the merger, they've trailed the S&P 500 by, I think, almost 30%. Uh, unless you really, really, right now, looking ahead to that June split, want exposure to both an ag tech company and special materials, maybe then you get in just so it's done. But there's really no reason to buy in now. Um, once they go independent, it's I, I, just like with Dow. I mean, we'll see who's added to what index, but I, I, I would not necessarily I'm, I'm personally not going to rush into any of these businesses i think anytime you have something this complex there's going to be a lot of volatility there's going to be a lot of different investors either exiting positions or the institutional people getting in uh, you're going to see housekeeping in the first couple quarters you can be off on earnings because the analysts are kind of winging it more I I see you know I mean if for, for if, if you're patient enough you can get in and enjoy if the, if any of these businesses really appeal to you but I I see more harm in jumping than waiting I've, I I I'd like to look at these later in the year and kind of hopefully by the end of the year we'll know what we have we'll know what the economy's like we'll know what exposure they have and you have three large interesting businesses with three different profiles that um that you know. You can get a much better handle for what they are and uh, and what their outlook looks like. Yeah, I agree with you, Lou. I think we need a couple quarters to kind of see how these strategies are going to play out. We're just getting the early kernels of, of what these businesses are going to do now that they're on their own. And, uh, you know, I'd really like to see maybe a quarter or two of management really laying out to us what their vision is for the business and you know where they see their opportunities are going forward as an independent company. You know, as you look at at these three companies, you know, as they become available on the market, which one, if any, is most interesting to you as a potential investment? Well, I've already kind of exposed my crush on Ed Breen, so I, I think that may be into where I'm going. But uh, if you look at the new Dupont, um, the margins they're able to generate, the exposure to different businesses that hopefully can make it less cyclical or less less tied to one industry and in, in the ups and downs of construction, say. I, I like that profile. I like that portfolio, and I really like the jockey. I, it, it can be. I, I'm, I'm always reluctant to buy a company just on the CEO, but uh, and especially this. This is going to be a chairman now, so Bream's going to sort of be just the wise man whispering over the shoulder. But I really, I really have faith that there are things to do, and that he's the right person to do to extract value in that business. So. You know, again, as you say, it's going to be later in the year because I want to see how it goes. But I'm going to be looking very closely at Dupont. I've, I would like to own that business. I think. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Lou. It's got it's got the fatter margins. It has you know the the management that you know has the track record of being successful. Has the potential for additional you know uh, split offs that could create more value for us. Um, that's the one I'm going to look at. But I, th- I think all these. Even if there's not something you want to invest in, they're going to give all investors a good look through into how the economy is moving from a cyclical point of view because they just touch so many parts of the global macro economy. So these are companies I'm probably going to be paying a little bit of attention to, regardless of whether I invest in them. Um, Lou, got got any big plans for the weekend? You're down there in Atlanta. It's Masters weekend. Uh, what is you there got a golf on? tournament this weekend? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I mean, first of all, I, I, I got Jason Moser says uh, this is Roy McElroy's year. I heard that on another podcast. So I, I, I'm here to add value. I'm gonna, I'm gonna add value by, by just saying you should listen to Jason. But uh, yeah, this is a very big deal around here. There's a lot of worrying. We could have some real bad storms on Sunday coming through. So um, it may make for great TV, but uh, be, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how the tournament goes this year. Yeah, see, see your way out on a limb there, uh, picking Rory there, Lou. But, well, no, uh, no, that's Jason, you see, so I, I have plausible <laughs> deniability if it doesn't go well, too. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm going to be out there rooting for Tiger. I think the story would be great for him to, you know, finally get that that last major. You know, he finally, you know, uh, into the last year, he finished strong, so I'd like to see him come out. But uh, Rory's a good pick. We'll see. Hopefully, we don't get too bad of storms on Sunday. But if not, worst case scenario, we get golf in the office on Monday. So, you know. <laughs> You got, got, got to look, look for the silver lining. Lou, thanks so much for coming on the show. Always enjoy having you on. Thanks, Nick. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. <laughs>